And uh, it's interesting to have you, I, I actually like how you said it's called home because it's actually called place, but I think we need to talk about it, whether there's a difference or not in place and home because that's really what it all comes down to. That is so bad. <laughs> it's even lying on my desk here next to me. <laughs> so place. Yeah. Yes. So I guess the first question I really wanted to ask you, uh, because it's a question I get quite a lot as a writer. It's like, so what's so special about you that you get to write a novel? Oh, well, that's, the thing with this book is, um, and, and that's, a process, that's something I had to get used to because I don't think there's anything necessarily special about me per se uh, as an individual. I think everyone has a story to share with the world, everybody. And um, I started out writing a memoir actually, thinking that my story was interesting enough to tell the world, uh, My individual story. Um, and then I realized there wasn't enough conflict and excitement. And that was actually a uh, writing instructor gave me the feedback of, you know, you might want to try auto fiction, which brings in some autobiographical elements into, and then just make more fiction by adding some drama, some conflict. And so I tried that and, but it was so hard to separate the two to, to actually come up with fiction, which is a world that I wasn't really familiar with. I was always used to reading nonfiction and biographies and I felt like if you're going to sit down and read, you have to learn something. Um, so it was this whole process of, of getting comfortable with sharing my own story and trying to find the right genre to share that story. And um, just saying to the world, look, everyone's story is important. Mine, uh, I can make it more interesting for you and, and for you as a reader by adding some of these little tidbits to bring you through to the end um, instead of just blabbing off about my own life, but just showing where the elements of my life that readers might find interesting and be able to relate to. And that's why this particular book has gone through three genres, being a memoir, autofiction, and eventually fiction. Yeah, because obviously as someone who, who knows you quite well, um, on reading the book, I was immediately struck by like, oh, hang on, but this, this, this sounds a lot like the life of yours that I know, how much of this is fiction and how much is not. Right. Yes. I mean, I'm not expecting you to tell me that right now because that would ruin it all. Um, but how did you walk that line? I mean, you've, you've just hinted a little bit at it, but on a practical level, how did you do that? Well, thank goodness for people like developmental editors, which I was lucky enough to find one that I had a really good click with. It just so happens that her last name is also Huber, but no relation. <laughs> so Andy Huber, um, who is an editor by profession. She happened to be in Amsterdam and we got to be in friends. And um, I said, would you be willing and able to kind of coach me through this to play devil's advocate? I think everyone needs a devil's advocate while they're writing someone to call you out on things that you could, we all have our blind spots uh, while writing. And so that's, 
I, I had a developmental editor throughout and I would put myself on a timeline and submit chapters to her. So every week one chapter and then she'd give me feedback and lit every little thing from what, wait a second, didn't you have your dog on a walk in this scene? I think you forgot about the dog to uh, this. This is not going to go well with the readers or this is being misinterpreted. And just to kind of keep the storyline going and, and give it more form. Um, and, but not only her feedback, I was part of a Amsterdam writing workshops in the beginning stages just to get more comfortable with writing. Uh, it's not something that I did much. It's just when I turned 40, I started getting up at 5 a.m. and actually writing, handwriting what I thought was going to be the first book. And after about three days into that 5 a.m. getting up, that was it. And so then I joined the writing feedback group, which provided a comfortable, safe environment to share writing in the beginning stages and get professional feedback from someone who was trained in writing. And, and they say, if you write a lot, you have to read a lot. So I would read a lot of fiction or whatever genre at the time I was working on and a lot of memoirs. So that's all those different stages, you know, and then once I felt like the feedback group was no longer necessary, then I started working with a development editor and then had another uh, beta reader round and got their feedback. So all these different stages help me get to the finished product in the end. I'm loving this because I think, you know, one of the myths of creativity is this idea of the lone genius slaving away in the ivory tower, right? And that's, I mean, it is a myth and it's just so nice to hear you. So you actually had a team of different Our kinds team. of people. Yes, along the entire process, an entire team of people and um, people often say, oh, acknowledgements are so long, but that's really for a reason. There is this whole team of people behind everything from the cover design, the illustrator, the layout for the book, you know, things that you no don't normally think about, but there's someone out there that has that skill set. And that's what I love about, you mentioned we knew each other in my previous life, uh, running the Spark Conference for Female Entrepreneurs. And I actually combed through my LinkedIn and my contacts from that and found entrepreneurs who specialized in cover design or layout and then just gathered a team together just like I used to do for conferences and finding scouting speakers to speak at a conference. I scouted out professionals to help me bring this book to life. So that was such an exciting process and nice that it was a team effort and always had back and forth going on the entire time with people. One of the things I like to say to people is that nothing you've ever learned is wasted. Um, there's, there's always an opportunity or something that happens for one to double back and to reconnect with people or, or, or repurpose what you've learned. So I, I like to hear that as well, that um, all the work that you put into the Spark Conference over the years was also part of delivering a novel. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And, and also so much inspiration from other people that have put work out there, including yourself with your poetry book. Yeah. And also having the whole digital aspect, um, because I, I think there's just something scary about self-publishing. People think, oh, you know, how am I ever going to tackle that? And then just by having people to call upon to ask, well, how did you do that? Where, where, how do you do the digital part? How do you make an EPUB doc to get it out there as an ebook? And, and just going through the steps and, and you know, like everyone else, uh, all the back end that's involved in all of that. So it's, it's nice to be able to call upon a team of people to walk through the steps. Let's talk about that, that dirty word there for a moment, self-publishing. Um, why did you choose to do that in the first instance? Well, it became apparent pretty quickly that my chances were going to be about 0% of getting this book published 
in the Netherlands simply because it's in English, for starters. Um, a former neighbor of mine in Amsterdam, Kantoortje van Remco, I actually emailed him and, and he works in the publishing world. And he says, and I'm luckily, he, along with another person in the industry, said, your chances are just 0%. So just setting the bar up front, um, not expectation management. Um, if it's a success in the US or the UK or an English speaking, speaking country, then you can have it translated into Dutch and start and have a publisher here and go through. So, okay, that's clear. I never even imagined that that would be the process, but okay, that makes sense. And so then I started looking into publishing houses in the US and in the UK. And on most of the websites, the homepage said, we're not accepting any manuscripts. We're just oversaturated, especially during the pandemic. Everyone decided to, everyone and their mom decided to write a book. Um, so it's just, I knew my chances were very slim. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm gonna have to roll up my own sleeves, which is actually something I enjoy doing, figuring things out. And I had luckily the time and space to do so during the pandemic uh, with the lockdown here or there that I had to kind of put it aside. But um, that's where I realized it's, it's, you learn so much and you have so much more control. And I also met up with a woman named Natasha Bile who wrote a book, um, Mark von your book and success. So I, I met up with her for a coffee and she, also convinced me that this is a way to go also how much money you keep for yourself versus if you go through a publishing house there's you know the financials make so much more sense of it um so of course there's this prestige around an actual publishing house and having a real agent um so i had to let that go and just think you know the story has to get out there one way or another and to tell you the truth it actually started um by wanting to do a phd this whole book about home and the ideas of place and, and where does one feel at home and realizing pretty quickly question eight, when it got into the theoretical bit of the application for the PhD, that I'm not that much of an academic. That's when I went the whole writing route. And so thanks to these people that encouraged me to do self-publishing, I thought this just let go of all the hangups, I guess, or that, that you create in your own mind of, Oh, having a publisher is so much better than self-publishing these days self-publishing really i think has a new yeah uh reputation is not the word um what word am i looking for it's, it's just well, a new the, the way jacket is that you know publishers it's like record companies right they were always the tastemakers the gatekeepers if it came through that you knew it was quality and you know everything is just moving too fast for that still to be strictly speaking true Right. And because everything now costs more in, in terms of marketing and production, both record companies and publishers are tending to only take on new artists, for lack of a better word, who already have a reputation because they can't afford to develop you. Right. And so they are waiting for people like you and like me <laughs> to publish things themselves. And when they become a success, then suddenly... They're like, oh, well, we can we can license that and we can do international distribution and uh, maybe a fancier, whatever, edition. And that's kind of how it starts to happen. Mm -hmm. But I'm also intrigued by what you said about the, the finances. Um, right. I remember when I was still a music journalist, uh, there was a comparison made that Annie DeFranco, who used to record and release her own music, earned 10 times as much per sale as Madonna did when she was on a major label. Wow. And so even though she sold a tenth as many records as Madonna, royalties-wise, she earned the same. 
Right. Yeah. It's kind of a good way of looking at it, right? <laughs> yeah. I love Anna DeFranco, by the way. But yeah, that is that is a good one. And that's exactly how someone, how Natasha also spelled it out to me. Like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and also just to be able to choose your own cover and font. And, you know, I, I was obsessive going around the house with a ruler, doing margins of different books and trying to get the right paper weight. And, but it's nice to make those decisions yourself and really through the whole process, all the little details to be in control of those and, and to have your own Amazon warehouse in your own home is, is kind of fun. Yeah. Put on some Sky Radio during Christmas and pack package up all the books and send them off. Yeah, I mean, for me, what's also interesting about this conversation, this part of the conversation, is what do you want? How much do you want it? You know, That's where it all starts. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people get stuck because what they want is a publishing deal. What they want is the prestige. What they don't want is to actually publish a book. Like that's that's secondary. But when that's really your drive, this is I, I, I feel what the result is. You go and make a plan, right? Because the challenges that you outlined are not unique to you. I mean, okay, yeah, the, the being in, in the Netherlands and, and publishing an English part is, but the rest of what you explained is the situation. Yeah, and it, yeah, and you have to really want it and of course it's discouraging at times but um it's all about planning like you said just having that excel i i already started mark making a whole list of who can i market to who would be interested in this book um and just reaching out sending press making the perfect press release sending that out and and still also now that's what i'm focusing on is just getting the word out there about this book it's just not gonna land on people's doorstep you really have to put yourself out there and go to local bookshops and get in the local paper and spread the word uh, if anything, that's what makes you special about right and uh, in this book publishing process because I think that's the part that not everybody has um, and not everybody can do. It is it is it is difficult. I mean, it's, it's something I enjoy, and I realize not everyone doesn't part. Um, so that's when I think it makes sense just to find someone in your network and comb your LinkedIn to find who might be willing and able, even maybe for a small fee or. or a friend just to take that bit over. Yeah, yeah. Who else was on your team? I mean, we've talked a lot of practical stuff, but I mean, obviously there's a lot more going on there. And, and, and so who, who else was on the team and what was their role? <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, well, it depends how far you want to go back with the team aspect, um, because I consider people in the Amsterdam Writing Workshops part of the team because they were there for the beginning and the feed, providing feedback. So Lisa Friedman, a, a shout out to her. Um, and then uh, I have a writing instructor in California who's actually coming here to teach a writing course in June, uh, Lisa Doctor. So she provided a lot of feedback for the first chapter, especially, which is important um, because that's often the chapter that you submit to people to get them interested. Um, and then I had Lisa Hall, who did the layout. She's based in The Hague. I had Sigtem Guven, who did the actual cover, uh, graphic design of the cover. And then I had Evelyn Weidefeld who a friend of mine, a childhood friend, sent me her Instagram. This is a Dutch woman who lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who made these drawings. And my friend said, wouldn't this be perfect for your book? I'm like, yes, it would. Um, so she did a custom drawing for that and even have an Amish buggy there to sh shout out or wink to Pennsylvania. So she was part of the team. Um, gosh, I had loads of beta readers, mostly in Hilversum, a Dutch and international who volunteered to read the book in the beginning stages and provide feedback. 
and a friend in a college friend in the UK. So it's just, uh, gosh, and I know I'm leaving out people, but it's just. Um, this is a really interesting answer because actually that's not what I want to know. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so who was, who was, um, I don't know, taking the kids to school and, oh, right. and holding your hand when you were saying, I can't do this. And, uh, you know, yeah. and, and who's been out there pushing it into the world and, 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 and that kind of stuff. That would be, um, well, my husband, Yost, gave me lots of time and space to, to write the book and, and didn't nag me about anything and just knew what this is something I had to do. Um, and he was watching, he would watch the kids, which I have three on the Sunday afternoon during the writing workshops that I did. Uh, my close girlfriends from childhood scattered around the world, everywhere from Africa and at the time Paris, they were really uh, lifesavers. And when I was having a bad, day, a bad day, because it can be a very lonely process in your head the whole time while you're writing, um, they would provide simple feedback sometimes of why don't you call the fruit company this instead of that or in the book or, um, so that was really, and then Andy Huber is a huge part of the team just to get through every single week and, and the, the dips uh, was, of which are many when you're writing a book. So really close girlfriends that I could call upon, high school girlfriends and my husband and my family, my sister-in-law, my mother-in-law, everyone was just so encouraging and, and putting out there. And my close friends are the ones that keep coming back and ordering more books to give to people as gifts and pushing out there. Um, and Boom Chicago has been really great with this book event that's coming up in April promoting and uh, Access Magazine and The Hague. So there's all these pockets of people that are really excited about this book and are helping to get the word out there. Also the local bookshop in Brokula. I was curious because, you know, there's a there's a, a great book out there called The Creative Curve, uh, written by a guy called Alan Gannett. And he reckons that anyone who's, who's being really creatively uh, or productively creative um, has a team around them that which they may not even realize is a team um, that consists of a conflicting collaborator. So that would be your your uh, your developmental editor, I reckon. Yeah. Um, a prominent promoter, someone who's going out into the world and telling everyone about what you're doing and, and, and drumming you up support and work. Um, a modern muse, um, which is an interesting one, your source of inspiration, your sense of purpose, possibly, or literally just, oh, I want to copy this person. Um, and, uh, the last one is a master teacher. Oh, nice. And I think we've kind of covered two. Yeah, no, definitely. And, when, and what's the, the, the second to last one you said with the one that you, that inspires you. Yeah. yeah. I would say that's Colleen Getsky who wrote, uh, the quote on the back of my book here. Right. She has the stuff Dutch people like, and she did the whole self-publishing thing as well. And also you for the digital aspect, uh, providing inspiration of um, getting the book out there digitally. So that's, and then the last one was. The last one was uh, the master teacher. The master teacher. It's an interesting one. Yeah. No, I definitely think that, that that's a combination of Lisa Doctor in California and Lisa Friedman, who really taught more of the craft and yeah. provided such useful, valuable feedback along the way. I mean, the reason why I try and sort of like split it out like this is, again, I, I find so many people, you know, they feel that these things have to come fully formed from within. And that if they don't have that and they know they don't have that, they don't feel uh, they have the right to start. 
Right. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about this and quite clearly lay out the fact that you didn't feel like you had all the skills you needed. So you went out and found someone to help you with it. Exactly. And so I, I forgot, it was a podcast I listened to recently because in the beginning too, every time I let the dog out, I was listening to a podcast on writing and how to this, how to that. Um, and someone at one point, I can't remember, unfortunately, which podcast, but they said, you never know what you're going to write or what the story is when you sit down. You just don't. It goes through like at least 20 different versions until you think, oh, that's chapter one or that, that that's a story. And, and then even then it can still change. So it's just constantly evolving and changing. I think that's something I didn't realize in the beginning is how much with that creativity process, how much of it changes. And it's not something you can just sit down and, and I did work with a, a flexible layout. That's also something I learned from one of these writing podcasts, but it's constantly changing. So it's good to have a layout or, a, or an outline, a flexible outline, and then just tweak it along the way. Maybe that person doesn't die in chapter five. And then maybe the main character has one kid instead of five, you know, things are constantly changing. Um, I think that's such an important point as well, because I think, you know, certainly in my conversations with people, their ideas around this whole process are so rigid. Right. Yeah. And that's the wrong way to go, at least in my experience. Mm. Um, and also with dates, I, I never knew it'd be so confused. I had all these, I still have all these calendars here over on the wall just to get my dates straight because, um, you know, the main characters meet in a certain year and then they moved to America and, and it just, and I did first start writing a COVID novel, but then I figured, oh, nothing's possible. You can't go anywhere, do anything during a pandemic. So let me rewind, go back to 2019. And that's when the story takes place. And then you have to do, make sure you get all the graduation dates of the main characters from college and when they met. So yeah, constantly recording things, changing things. You've outlined quite an extensive process of reading and podcast listening and, you know, basically research and investigation. Did that at any point start to get in the way? Um, no, at a certain point I did have to stop listening to podcasts and, 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 and how to, and like, and I mentioned with the writing feedback group at a certain point, and that was finished. And I had to just carry on and, and do my thing. Um, so at one, at some point it could be too much information and too much how to. So I, it's kind of striking that right dosage of what you need and taking that for what it is and then moving on. And cause otherwise it just becomes so overwhelming. Yeah. And if you, if you, I guess if you subsist on too much of a steady diet of that stuff, everything you then do becomes derivative. I was actually talking to my developmental editor, Andy Huber, who's still a good friend of mine. She moved back to LA uh, for a whole hour yesterday. And I was just talking to her about, I could have worked on this book for another couple of years. And so at a certain point, you just have to go with it because I think that's most people's problem. And a lot of people who I speak to actually hear my family and some Dutch friends, they say, yeah, maybe it's the American go-getter and you, uh, I don't know what, but it's, you just do it and you're not afraid of failure. And that's true. I'm not. I, I just feel like, okay, there's going to be people that don't like this book, that don't enjoy the story, that find a couple of mistakes in there. Um, thank, and a shout out to Rebecca Blunden, who was my proofreader, who actually did <laughs> help me at the very last stages there on that. But I could have spent years on this book and it still wouldn't be good enough as some people might define it, to put it out there. But at a certain point, you just got to put it out there, I think. The, the story is ready, ready enough to put out there. 
And that's something I think that a lot of people struggle with. And I struggle with myself um, and actually rushed to get through before the holidays because it wasn't supposed to come out until February. I think so. I'm so glad you said that because I, I see that a lot and I have seen it a lot. The sense of perfectionism where something cannot be released into the wild, as it were, until every rough edge has been polished away. And unfortunately, before too long, that just does devolve into being too scared to put it out there. At some stage, yeah. you've just got to let it go and stand out there and live and die on its merits. Right. Exactly. Because there will, will be another book or there will be another thing. This isn't the end of the road, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I just figure, um, you know, for those that are still scared, just take notes for an eventual second edition. That's what I started doing. I got uh, the name yeah. of the statue somewhere wrong and the paperweight. I'm definitely changing for the next round. But those are all things you can just take note of. And just, yeah, I think at a certain point, good enough is as good as it's going to get. And do it. Just do it, Nike. Yeah, I hate the fact that they copyrighted that. I know. <laughs> um, oh, I think that's probably a good place to stop. I just have one last question for you. What thing or things did you learn from this whole process that you're going to take out of this process and continue to use in your day-to-day -day life? That's a very good question. Um, this whole process has really helped me to slow down and appreciate the whole craft of writing. Um, and, and having proven to myself that I actually could put a story out there has given me um, more joy in the whole sector, I guess you could say. I just really enjoy reading fiction now. I, I, I look at books differently. I read books differently now. Um, I look at the world around me differently because I'm just more attuned to detail because that's what writing does. That You have to write down all the detail, the smells, what someone's hands look like. And so that's amplified my daily experience and that uh, everything around me, I'm really taking in more, trying to at least. Um, so it's a nice reminder to me every day of just, you know, just look at the world like a writer does. And it's more enjoyable. It helps me live more in the now, as cliche as that sounds, um, because I am always a forward-looking person. Good. Hannah, thank you so much. It's been awesome talking to you. Thank you, David. Uh, and about your book, Place. And maybe just quickly tell people if on the basis of this conversation, they're really keen to buy your book, where's the best place for them to start? The best place is on the Amsterdam Academy website. So www.amsterdamacademy.com slash place. And there's more information on the book there. You can read the blurb and a couple of quotes on the book. There's a radio interview on there. Um, it's also available in the ebook form on Barnes and Noble. Um, and it's not on Amazon yet. It's uh, Kobo for those that have a Kobo reader. So those are the best places at the moment. I'm hoping to do an audio version of it soon. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. Thank you so much for the chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me, David.